again, it goes back to, you know, having that bragging rights from breeding standpoints, uh, promotion of your kennel standpoints, all that adds up. So there's a lot of benefit to pushing your dogs for these titles. When it comes down to it's a good sending day, good conditions, it's going to take speed. My, my German short hairs are going to beat the Griffon because they just cover the ground just a little faster. Now, when it comes to really tough scent conditions or I need to handle a dog into a situation, I promise you my Griffons are going to beat my short hairs a thousand times. It's just the way it is. To me, the wild bird hunting versus field trialing, there's no difference. It's good dog training at the end of the day. Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. My guest this week is Kevin Kuyper. Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, Nick? Uh, living the dream as always. So I'm here, you know, uh, I, I recently just last night recorded with Lauren Trout, who is kind of uh, you and him are kind of going head to head in, in the point leadership board of the, the UFTA uh, with just a, a couple weeks, from my understanding, of, of wrapping this up. So I, I'm, I'm excited to kind of pick your brain and what that means to you and why you even like getting involved in the points chase structure. But first, let's start off, introduce yourself, tell everybody where you're calling from, what kind of dogs you run and, and the type of home hunting that you like to do, all the fun stuff. So my name's Kevin Kuyper. Uh, I live in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, I own German short hair pointers as well as wired hair pointing Griffons. Uh, we have a few po poodles that my wife owns uh, for house pets, more or less. Uh, I have used them on occasion for flushing dogs. Uh, they're great, excellent retrievers and have a huge prey drive, contrary to what everybody thinks, you know, being foo-foo pretty dogs laying on the couch. <laughs> Just something fun to play with, you know. Yeah. So as far as the points race and, and, and getting into all that, um, Gabe Kessinger is also in that as well. Uh, yeah. He's right up there with Warren and I as well so he's definitely not one to write off any uh anytime soon for sure so yeah G gabe it's like there there's three guys you lauren and, and gabe and and uh I, I i'm interviewing you and lauren i i didn't even talk to gabe about doing it because i wasn't even aware that he was in the race but because when when we initially discussed doing this it was really just kind of you and lauren at the top right. and then when i asked you guys to come on let's talk about it let's have a little bit of fun with it i checked the standings yesterday and i saw gabe was up there i'm like wow the 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 point leadership can can really change pretty quick you know it, it when you first look at it you're like all right well the, you know lauren or or 
Kevin have it, have it in the bag, and then next thing you know, you look in a week or two, and somebody's done caught up with you. Absolutely. So it and it's even more so uh, a tighter race now than what it was for what those points show. This past weekend, we were in uh, Mount Caramel, Illinois, Wabash uh, Quail Club, and hosted. They hosted a trial out there, two day event, and Gabe and I uh, come home with some placements and. Even tighten that gap up a little tighter uh, made it a closer race. But you're exactly right. It, it can turn from week to week. It's very competitive. And and those guys are great competitors, and they have great dogs, you know. Yeah. So at any given time, it can change. Yeah. So for the listeners that may not be familiar with UFTA and, and what the points that we're even discussing really <laughs> reflect, kind of give everybody a rundown of – what what you guys are actually chasing because it's more than just bragging rights it's more than just running a bunch of trials and and running a, winning a bunch i mean that's obviously part of it uh kind of sustained success or consistent success if you will throughout a season but like just break down the actual concept and and why the ufta organization even keeps up with this okay so ufta started this program and this kind of builds uh, along the course of the year, uh, they take your top 10 runs and take the points from those runs, and that is where our totals come from for the Dog of the Year race. The reason they only do the top 10 runs and drop your lowest scores is just to keep it from being an out-and-out right trailer race. You know, this guy went to more trials than I was able to go to because of my work situation or, or home life, you know, because it is a balance. So they count your top 10 high scoring runs for that dog of the year race. And how that's calculated is for every trial that you enter, they award points for the number of dogs entered in that trial. So say there is 10 dogs entered in a trial, for example, for the sake of round numbers, easy. For first place, you are awarded six points per the times the number of dogs in that trial. So that would be 60 points for first place. Second place, you're awarded five points, so on and so forth down the line. So they take those runs. Obviously, the bigger trials, the bigger the number. So some of our trials at Cedar Creek in the spring, uh, early late winter, early spring, uh, we had some huge trials January and February leading up to nationals, everybody coming in getting some practice. And if you could do well at those trials, you could put two to 300 points on the board in one run. And that's how you you get those higher numbers up there. So obviously, the more participation, the higher the points are at stake, and the more that opportunity there is for improvement. And also, this time of year comes down to: is there enough dogs in that trial? Uh, and it you have to play those points games sometimes. You know, is there enough dogs in that trial to justify? I need to put a few extra dogs in that trial to, you know, there's extra points there, you know, so on and so forth. And those guys watch those. Uh, but the big reason behind it is, is showing the best of the best. What dogs are the most consistent throughout the season? Uh, that's why UFTA, the top three dogs in the dog of the year race, get an automatic buy spot into the finals. And that's a big deal. You know, not always the best dog wins on that day. Uh, there's a lot of – there is some luck in this game. You know, a bird bird accidentally pops and gets up out of the field for no reason. It's it's happened, and there you are left. There's no extra birds in the field, and you have a two-bird run. 
when you should have a three bird run and you're out of it. So mm-hmm. that those top three dogs getting that automatic spot into the finals and not having to qualify at nationals is a big deal. And that's what a lot of guys are competing for, uh, as well as the title of national dog of the year for that division. We have two divisions, the amateur, which is two years of age or younger on your dog. And then the open and open is open to any age dog. Um, so, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, having that bragging rights and having, you know, being able to say, hey, I have the 2022 National Dog of the Year, the 2023 National Dog of the Year. And uh, from breeding standpoints, uh, promotion of your kennel standpoints, all that adds up. So there's a lot of benefit to pushing your dogs for these titles. And investing back in organization is a big one. Uh, you know, what we do throughout the course of the season as trial host. Uh, like I, I host some of the trials at Cedar Creek alongside Joey Preston. And, you know, people don't realize, but a lot of times that's funding our national championships. You know, the the uh, sanctioning fees, we pay back $20 per dog to UFTA. And so the more of that, the more prize money come down to national championships, the, you know, nicer the trophies, the the more prestige that's put into it. Yeah. And that's, I think, what I find appealing about UFTA is you just shed some light on there, there's a bunch of kind of checks and balances throughout this this whole organization and how it's structured to where, to your point on the points chase. Yeah, you can go out there and if somebody really wants to just trial every weekend and rack up points that way, you could. Right. But at the end of the day, it's still the top 10 runs for each each handler and dog. So it kind of brings that bar down to where, to your point, Right. If you have a busier life, maybe you want to go hunting instead of trialing one weekend. You know, as long as you have 10 quality runs, you're you're still in the running. And, and it provides you a little bit more strategic opportunity. But then it, it also still incentivizes people to be competitive and get out there and run, which every time they're running in a trial, it's going to build that, that pot up for the national uh, – in February. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it literally feeds one side of it, feeds the other side very nicely. And, and that's what I really appreciate about the UFTA so far. Absolutely. And and it as well. And I'll speak because when I first got into this, I ran one dog. And over the years, I've developed into to run a multiple dogs. And uh, my wife says she's divorced from well, that's not that's a lie. Shut and because she goes with me. Don't let her kid you. She loves going to the bird dog trials and watching the dogs as much as I do. But from September till April, we're in bird dog season, and mm-hmm. so you know that's what our world revolves around. And for somebody that works a full time job and has a family and kids, it's a lot harder for them to get away and be able to make those you know weekend trips to go out to Illinois and hunt or go go down to Alabama or go up to Ohio or go up to Pennsylvania and run some of these trials. Uh, so they may only have the opportunity if they're based here in Kentucky, for example, to go to the the, the Elizabethtown, Kentucky, the Lincoln Trail and, and come to Stanford at Cedar Creek and run in those trials. That may be all that their uh, lifestyle dictates. And that way it still gives them an opportunity to be competitive and 
doesn't take away and give them a disadvantage. And to me, that's a big part because that that's just helping the members out. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to take a guy that that does this for a living and he's going to win it every year. He because the you know I work a full time job, so does my wife, and so it would be a lot harder for me to beat a, a guy that that does this for a living, says so trains dogs, and and he's paid to promote that dog, and he's going to a trial to win, and yeah, he can travel and do that every weekend, weekend and out. Uh, so it gives the the working man better opportunity as well, you know. Yeah, you, your shot is just as good as the other guy if you, if you Absolutely. you know have the consistency. And and again, you know the thing that kind of kept me from getting involved in any kind of trial structure or organization throughout the years was I always had a hard time foregoing an actual hunting trip or or day in the field actually right. hunting wild birds yeah. to go trial because I never felt like well. If I wanted to do that, I can't be competitive by only doing the occasional trial. And kind of looking into UFTA and the offerings and seeing that checks and balances, if we want to call it that, uh, within how it's structured, really allowed me to see like, okay, this is something that, you know, once a month I can go run a trial and and maybe get lucky and hit a couple, you know, doubles day and and. To, and still be in the running or at least competitive right. and qualify for the nationals. It's not something that I have to quote unquote campaign my dog to where every week I'm traveling to Alabama, then Illinois, then Kentucky, then North Carolina. Yep. To your point, like there's enough trials around in certain areas to where you can figure out something that really works for you, especially September through April. That's a long, long period of time that really you only need to find like, you know, three or four good weekends and you can qualify your, your dog for nationals. And then once you get to nationals, what you talked about earlier is like just a little bit of luck on your side. You have a couple good runs. You can win the nationals right. without having to quote unquote campaign your dog. Right. And, and there's a lot of dogs that have done that over the years, you know, uh, and again, national's not necessarily the best dog that always wins because there is a little luck involved. And that's also where that 10 run uh, high point comes into play is it kind of takes that luck out of it. You know, there's days that for dogs are dogs are dogs, you know, they're never perfect. I've never seen one. Uh, I'm never going to see a perfect dog. It's just the way it is. But You'll have a little bad luck today. You may not tomorrow. And those 10 runs, that kind of takes some of that luck out of it and truly shows the best of the best. So mm -hmm. that being said, you know, you get to the Nationals. There is – you have to have a little luck on your side sometimes at Nationals. An extra safety bird flew into the field or or anything of that nature can take place, you know. Or you may just – that be the – you know, you may hit 99 out of 100 shots and that one day you miss that shot, you know, that just that little bit of bad luck happens. Yeah. So you And, know, I mean, talking to certain people, you know, it's like even in the conversation with Lauren, he was talking about a run last year to where in the Nationals he had like a two-minute, three-second run, and he came in fifth. You know, there were some crazy times in Nationals because I was there last year kind of watching it, scoping it out, mm -hmm. seeing what it was about. And, you know, you start checking some of those times and leadership boards of, of all the people such as yourself, Lauren, uh, all these guys that do it at a high level and, and they're really passionate about it. You start seeing these times and I'm just sitting there like, man, 
I, I can't imagine going out there and doing a, you know, minute 45 second run in three different zones with your dog. But, you know, when you start talking about the nationals in February, the sinning conditions, the cover, if all that's right and your dog knows the game, you can go out there and, and really have some blazing speeds. Oh, absolutely. You know, Zeke, uh, I won national dog of the year with him, amateur national dog of the year with him last year. And come down to nationals and he actually had the fastest times in the finals he had two fast two minute runs i don't remember the exact seconds uh but uh just it goes back to a little bit of bad luck i had some rainy conditions and i couldn't get a bird to fly and had a bad safety so i lost my two shot points and uh hardy and craig were able to slip in there and got excellent dogs and they capitalized on my mistake and and were able to slide in there for first and second and in the national championship knocking me down to third and uh you know that's just part of the game you know yeah again their dogs have to do their job they could have just a little bad luck or i could have had better luck or you know you can say it twisted any way you want it's just but at the end of the day it just there it everything has to go together but you're right it 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 is you sit back and look at it from a distance and you're like holy cow these guys are just you know but when you get to the national championship you know you're looking at the best of the best that's standing up there right and that's what's and, representing our organization yeah and, and when you deal with kind of any level of competition or game where everybody's out there to win you know no, nobody really gets involved in competition to be the guy that's just like hey i participated right, right? right uh everybody's out there to win but when you start talking about anything in life that that involves preparation discipline trying to get through it and and be good at it you still need a little bit of luck on your on your side because you know wh when you go and look and, and you watch one of these trials for the first time you're looking at it and you're like you know obviously my dogs can hunt a field find some birds and retrieve mm -hmm. with a little bit of luck i can go out there and win this and that's true. You can go out there, have a little bit of beginner's luck, and I'm sure that you've seen somebody just show up, and then next thing you know, they they kind of get a big head maybe, and they're like, oh, yeah, I can, I can do oh, this. Yeah. But, but when you really start looking at it from afar, again, the guys, the players that are doing this every year – doing the high points chase like you start seeing the level of consistency to right. where it's just like you don't see too many people at least in my limited experience so far jump up in the leaders and then next week they're like you know in last place mm -hmm. i'm sure it happens but it seems like the the top guys are always up at the around the top and it's just kind of those little minor differences in your run to where you know that five second uh, delay on a retrieve really shot you in the foot. And, and you know, that was something that I, I didn't really kind of put into my head the right way going into it to where the, the little small details matter. You know, the two points for the shot bird matters yep. at the end of the day. It's amazing how by the end of the weekend, when you start looking at that, that scoreboard, all those little details that you don't think really matter all that much. It's like, oh, what's four points, right? Right. But but when you guys are, are at that high level, those four points can make or break your run. Uh, this this last Nationals, that four points was the difference between first and I'm wanting to say eighth place was the difference between first and, and – and don't quote me on that exactly. That's going on strictly off of memory, but it was right around that 
but I was that guy. I come in my very first UFTA trial run in. I run with my my old male dog Shaker, who's a wired hair pointing Griffon. And I come out my very first trial of one with a six minute and some change run, and I thought, boy, this was this is so easy. Like, what are these? <laughs> and I got this, and I didn't win another trial for probably two years. And I really was. I had that beginner's luck and got into it, got addicted to it, and and that's the way I was, you know. And so that does happen, but it's a fun sport to play, you know, and and it's addicting. It really is, uh, and. But at the end of the day, you're exactly right. It it is about you got to learn the rules, learn to play to play the game because a lot of those decisions you make while you're in that field, like you were talking about that that five second retrieve, and making those decisions can cost you in the end. And so you know, I everybody knew getting into this sport. I tell them, say, look, learn, read the rule book, learn the rule book, ask questions. I haven't met. A person in this organization that would, you know, not answer a question if you asked them and be rude about it. They would be like, hey, no, I'll help you out. Here's here's what you need to do. This is that situation. Because there are a lot of different situations that you can't even think of. Right. And UFTA works diligently on getting the, the rules every year uh, addressed accordingly because there's – I promise at some point this year there's been a situation that's come up that we've never encountered before. And UFTA is going to be like, uh, well, this is how we're going to move, you know, moving forward. We're going to address that. Mm-hmm. But learning those rules, and I encourage people to go to a trial, and a lot of trial grounds let you ride with the judge, you know, to learn here and there. Stand and watch. Watch the fields. Ask the competitors, you know. Introduce yourself. Say, hey, I'm new getting into this, and I'm wanting to learn. And and they'll stand there and talk to you all day long and answer questions and, you know, I tell everybody that's getting into it, that's the best way just to start coming to them and watching. And then eventually you got to start participating. And until you do start participating and getting yourself in those situations, because it happens so fast in the field, a lot of times, and I've been doing this, um, this will be my, my sixth year doing this. And there's times I still make the wrong decision. Uh, this past weekend, I made the wrong decision. I had a good safety bird flew toward the judge but the bird was hooking to the right and i was like well i'm gonna have a shot opportunity it hooked on turned on to the right and then instead i made the shot and just like missed the bird you know when i had a good safety the whole time i could have just said safety while it's flying toward the judge caught my dog and been done mm-hmm. so you know you still have those little moments but it's it's making that split second decision that until you just put yourself in those situations you don't have true appreciation for Yeah. I I mean, I can piggyback on that point just from my personal experience. You know, the few trials I've run is anybody listening to this podcast, you know, I'm 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 really measured about what I go and do and and attempt to do and and learn. And so like from the nationals last year, just kind of grilling and asking a whole bunch of questions and then coming to these trials, I'm asking a whole bunch of questions. So I'm wrapping my mind around what I think I want to do, what I want to strategize and, and give a shot. But once you get those answers and you kind of have at least the basic understanding of the rules, 
going and doing it and applying it are completely different because then you're in a race against a clock and somebody who, you know, I went out there purposely to where I I was telling myself, look, I'm not going to get overly competitive. I'm still learning the game. I'm learning the ropes. Like I I don't have any expectations. Let's just kind of see where we land and figure this out. But even without that kind of rushed uh, tempo that I force myself not to get in, you still get in certain situations to where you do have to make a quick decision. And Ooh. not not being completely familiar with some of the rules, I found myself in the field in the middle of a run asking Leo, the judge, you know, well, what what are my options here? And that's something that, again, you know, every every time I've been in the field, the judge that's been in the field has had a vested interest to where they are rooting for you. Oh, absolutely. Like they, they want to see you succeed. They want to see quality dog work. Yes. And so it's not like they're out to get you. They're there to help you if, if they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's also, it kind of co- comes to where you have a very clear rule base and you, you, there's really no subjectivity to the judge there's they're they're not knocking you on style they're not knocking you on handoffs or or any of that stuff it's it was just really it, it was really just receptive and, and open uh it, it was just a good feeling to be out there not feeling like anybody was out there wishing that you fail or right. anything like that and if you needed help even in the middle of a brace they're there to help you if you ask the right question right absolutely you know they'll they'll always when it comes to rules uh and situations they can help you as much as they can and 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 they will uh but again, like you said, really, I look at a judge as a, as a, in the field as an ally, you know, because because you can utilize that to your advantage, uh, so to speak. You know, if you don't exactly know, uh, there's been times I've dropped a leg on a bird and that bird flew and got into the edge of the woods and I couldn't see my dog, and I asked the judge, you know, judge is ideally supposed to keep his eyes on that dog the whole time during that field trial. And my dog may have been halfway to that bird and swapped ends and went on point on another bird, which I can go over and act on that bird, but I can't see that dog to make that call. Hey, Judge, can you look over, you know, can you ease over towards the edge of the field and check on that dog? And hey, he's standing here on point. Yeah. I can go on and move move forward and act. You know, there's all kinds of situations like that where, again, and and it's just a good group of people uh, that you're running with, the, the guys in the organization for the most part. The judges, the whole nine yards, the trial hosts—they want to see everybody succeed. Because again, you know, that's the future of our sport, especially these younger guys getting into it that's never ran in field trials before. And yeah. you know, we we want them to see them do well. We want to see them come back next time and the time after that, and keep building this sport and the breed of our dogs and bettering the whole environment all the way around from breeding of the dogs to the competition trials to at the end of the day you're breeding better wild bird dogs you know you're the whole nine yards just getting improved over time and that you you bring up something interesting in the young guys getting involved in this you know i've i've gone around i mean in the hunt test world you have something like navda to where there's plenty of young people kind of getting involved and, and and doing that stuff but when you talk about the competition trials when you go and check them out, depending on which which organization you're going to check out and what t- type of trial, it it's not the most wide ranging 
when it comes to age, right? Usually right. most trial uh, organizations is kind of on the older scale. And that's something I noticed with UFTA to where you do have a wide range of age participants in this to where I think, you know, there's some guys to where I think I saw like a couple 60, 70 year old guys run, running their dogs all the way down to like, you know, Lauren is in his early 20s. And, and you, you have, you know, kids hanging around the dog trials. You got young guys planting the birds. Like it, it's very inclusive to, I can, I can vouch for what you're saying to where like, it does truly come across as a vibe of, we want people to come get involved and we not only want you to show up once, we want you to have fun and some success so that you continue coming back in the future as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, and even at national, they, they have the youth have their own division run for you know they're running against other youth depending on their age whether they're allowed to shoot for themselves or not and depending on you know their age if if uh, have to be accompanied with by a parent or guardian out in the field you know so their ufta as a whole is an organization is big on the promotion of that you know that's that's what we look forward to that's the future of this you know because in 30 years if those guys aren't coming up in the ranks to do that there's no future. Yeah. I mean, even down to the detail of at the Nationals last year, I, I attended the banquet. And, you know, you go to a whole bunch of different banquets. You go to to different organizations, you know, uh, individual chapter banquets for NAVD or whatever. You might have some raffle items, right, mm -hmm. to where some people might win and come away with something. But talking to Brandon, it's like y'all had such a large amount of raffle items, if you will, but it was designed so that everybody in attendance is leaving there with something pretty much. Yeah. And, and, you know, there might be a few people that left empty handed or whatever, but that was kind of by choice from, at least from the, my, my perspective is if you didn't win something, you just didn't even put your name in the hat, which is, you know, fine. But that was something I can't say that I can recall ever attending to where everybody involved with UFTA was real adamant about we want everybody here coming and having a good time. And, and you know, it's like, again, a lot of people might hear competition and, and within a trial structure and they may shy, shy away from it. Maybe they don't like competition. Maybe they're afraid to wear like me. I know I'm a competitive guy by nature. I never really wanted to open that door and kind of muddy the waters of what I love to do and mix that up with, with competition because I was worried that I might start caring too much about one or one over the other right. when it comes to wild bird hunting or competition. But it, it really just doesn't come across as a competitive, uh, environment, even though that is what it is once, once the trials actually kick off during the day. Right. It, it, it is. And that, that is also what's great about the season being the length that it is because, you have those opportunities where you can still go wild bird hunt all fall if you want and qualify your dog for nationals for next year, this spring. And, you know, you have those opportunities. You also have that opportunity that you can wild bird hunt and still be competitive in the dog of the year race. You can wild bird hunt and still be competitive at nationals. You know, you get those opportunities where some of the organizations, their trial season's not as long or it is longer, but you have – other requirements that you got to do so it makes it a little tougher in some situations some situations it doesn't but i know myself you know going wild bird hunting that's you know that's a big enjoyment of mine so 
it it's it's a balance. I go trial on some, go go wild bird hunting some. And there's times that, you know, in the dog of the year, I'm like, hey, this is gonna be a big trial. Um last year, uh, for 2022 dog of the year, uh my Zeke dog won the amateur national dog of the year. And I was on my way to South Dakota and we had a trial at Cedar Creek and I sweated it the entire time because I'm going wild bird hunting and here he is in contention for dog of the year. And I was, I couldn't stand it. I was nervous about it the whole time. I'm calling Joey Preston, the trial. I was like, who did what? Who, how many dogs? Are you? What's going on? And he's like, man, don't worry about it. I'll let you know when it's all done. I'm like, oh, you're killing me, you know, but th- that's part of it. And, but that getting that excitement out of it is what it's all about. And seeing the kids coming up into it uh you know like you said you mentioned the bird planters being young um and some of the judges you know i know we had a testing day there at cedar creek and got some new judges tested for ufta they passed their test you know get them on the judges list so it's definitely growing and improving and it's going to continue that direction and moving forward and it's not what i love about ufta it's not everything set in stone and it's this way or the highway like you run into with some of the other organizations. They're open to hearing what people have to say. They're open to the membership and what, you know, for the betterment of the organization. Yeah. And from my understanding, the way Brandon put it to me is like UFTA is not owned by any individual. It's truly membership owned. And that's why it's so open to its feedback and suggestions from its membership base because it, without the membership, the organization goes under. And and from my understanding, every dollar that goes in the organization is essentially coming back out to whether in the form of, of prize pots or just putting on these events. It's not like nobody's making any money off of it. It truly is just a, a big membership group of people that are out there just trying to play this fun game with their dogs and do something different aside from maybe just wild bird hunting, especially in a regions which we find ourselves into where maybe the wild bird hunting is not what it once was right and we and we still want to get out there and and have fun and enjoy our time with our dogs and this this kind of this game affords a lot of people that opportunity oh 100 and that's ex- one of the biggest reasons i went to the first filter i went to is because i'm like well bird season's over what do i do now i've got a bird dog you know he's awesome sitting on the couch with me loving him every night but i still want to go hunting and do so i started looking into the field trials and i talked to a few guys went to my first one and i watched and then like i said uh i competed in my first field trial not long after that and and had a six minute run at cedar creek on on their sea field which is one of their amateur fields and and won the trials how i to this day i don't know but i did and and again i thought man this was easy i got this you know and, and <laughs> then you got humbled <laughs> and then i got humbled really fast so, but that's the way it goes you know but that's the big reason i got into it is because bird yeah. season's only so long and again living in a region that birds are getting a little more scarce here and there you know if we we go to the up to grouse hunt uh we also go to lower in michigan uh, around myo area summit hunt uh, I've been to South Dakota, uh, uh, out around Lake Andes, pheasant hunting. You know, making those trips is not always an option. So it's a good option to keep a dog tuned up as well as, you know, keeping them in birds and working. Yes, they're pen raised birds, but then again, I'm a competitive guy. 
so it gives me that opportunity for an outlet there. So it's kind of a win-win for myself. Absolutely. I definitely want to talk about the the wild bird hunting mm-hmm. trips because this is something that you and I obviously connected on pretty quickly when we first met at, at the first trial. Uh, but I want to circle back to where you have your short hairs, mm-hmm. you got your griffons, and you have your standard poodles. Mm-hmm. So far, I've only seen you compete with your short hairs. Right. I want to kind of I want to touch on the the selection of breeds and what you might typically see at these events because since I've participated in and, and we've kind of worked together UFTA and myself and and kind of promoted it here and there uh, I've had a few people reach out obviously I have a lot of people in the versatile dog space right. uh, interested in possibly trying a, a new game out and they're curious if their breed not only is allowed to run in it, but would they be competitive? And so you got your start with your Griffon in the game. Now you primarily run your short hairs. Kind of talk to me about your your mindset and why you really only compete with your short hairs. And do you ever bring the Griffon out just to have a little bit of fun in the field as well? Oh, absolutely, I do. Uh, actually, I've trialed, I have uh, uh my male shakers, but who is my oldest bird dog, and then a female named Trudy. Uh, I trialed Trudy this past two weekends ago at Cedar Creek. She actually won the open division run. Uh, and they are just as competitive as the short hairs and the setters and the Britneys. Uh, but what I tell everybody, uh, especially I, I know several people that own Griffons as well, and I have won with my Griffons plenty of times. Trudy made it into the finals last year at Nationals on her own merits. I did just enough to get her qualified, and she was kind of an afterthought last minute. No fault to her. Just I was like, hey, I'm winning with these dogs, and I can only do so much. And and it is a lot of work keeping a string of dogs tuned up and to be as competitive as they can be. Uh, very regimented schedule you know every tuesday thursday morning we're killing birds over them retrieving work a day a week and then filtering on the weekends or wild bird hunting somewhere mix that in with working a full-time job and and trying to travel and do it it gets tough so right again no fault to hers just so she barely got qualified last year to go to nationals and i had to be in the top six dogs in her field to get into the finals and on her own merits she did that and then had two great runs in in the open uh finals just had a little bad luck one of her her back bird in her first run got up and left the field on its own accord before we got down there and we hunted and hunted never could find the the third bird go into the next run and and she puts up a three-minute run you know Mm. that she's very capable she's very talented dog I tell people, though, all the time, you see a lot of German short hairs um, in this game. And my personal belief is that is because German short hairs are very handleable dogs, but they also have a big drive and a strong drive to them. Uh, so it's kind of more of a, it's just a common denominator. Uh, you also see setters and Britneys, and occasionally you'll see a Vistula. Um, but the biggest difference is with my dogs, my personal dogs, my Griffons are scent dogs, and they're not speed dogs. Are they just as capable of winning a field trial? Absolutely. And they have. I've got the trophies to prove it. The difference is when it comes down to it's a good scenting day, good conditions, it's going to take speed 
my my German short hairs are going to beat the Griffon because they just cover the ground just a little faster. And it's no fault to the Griffon. It's just that's their breed. And they just don't quite cover the ground hardly as fast. Now, when it comes to really tough scent conditions or I need to handle a dog into a situation, I promise you my Griffons are going to beat my short hairs a thousand times. It's just the way it is. They have a little better nose. You know, I call them my meat dogs. Uh, wild bird hunting, they're tough to beat. You know, especially in the grouse woods. Now I take them out west and go pheasant hunting with them. The short hairs are going to be putting more birds in there for me, uh, covering more ground a little faster. You know, getting there a little little quicker than what the griffons are. Yeah, it's kind of a a balance between them, uh, and again, it it depends on that day, just the situation, and if it's tough scenting conditions versus speed. It's the Griffon. If it's speed versus tough sinking conditions, it's the short hair, you know. Yeah. It just Mat- matching the right tool to the right job, pretty much, is, exactly. is what we're talking about. And and so, you know, I mean, I again the the handful of trials I've gone to, I have seen a, a number of breeds. You listed off most of them, but I have seen other guys with, you know, wire hairs are out there. Uh, I do know that uh, some people have used poodle pointers. You know that there are people with these with these other breeds. It's not just you know guys with German short hairs and and setters. Uh, you know there were pointers there at the last weekend that I was at. So uh, you know don't don't let your uh, proclivity for a certain pointing dog breed keep you from trying this new game because what you just said you you have won and you have been competitive with your Griffon so it's it can be done for sure what about the flushing dog side of thing this is something that I still haven't put my eyes on or are the flushing dog trials have you attempted doing the flushing dog circuit with your uh standard poodles at all i know you said that you have gotten them out and and kind of had some fun with them but have you ever competed with them no i never have competed with them my wife's we've joked about it a handful of times she's like you should you should take one of my of course she keeps them you know the haircuts just so so (laughs) you should take one of them out and do uh but no i've I've never competed with them but i have actually taken uh we had an older female that we don't have anymore but she was excellent at it and a gentleman that has her now, uh, pheasant hunts her, and, and he just recently sent my wife some pictures of her having the time of her life. And he's like, this dog's amazing. You know, she'll beat all these pointing dogs to the bird every time on a retreat. So uh, I may in the future. Uh, I just, you know, again, it's it comes down to having the number of hours in the day and having the time to do it. Yeah. The reason I haven't. Uh, and. You mentioned a while ago off of uh, UFTA and the different breeds. So UFTA recognizes all pointing and flushing breeds. Uh, as long as that dog is registered, it can compete in its respective. You know, you can't run an English setter or an English point. In a flushing dog. Flushing competition, but you can run it in a pointing division for sure. So just yeah. as long as it's a registered dog and it recognizes those pointing breeds and flushing breeds. So the poodles would most definitely, and there is a gentleman, um, I cannot remember his name off the top of my head, that has run a poodle in the flushing division before and uh, done done fairly well for himself from what I understand. So 
Mm. That's something that I, I'm excited to check out because I do get the occasional listener asking, you know, I have a flushing dog. What can I do? Because they can't really do the NAVDA testing. They can't do a lot of the trials. Uh, so UFTA having their own flushing division, you can look it up. And, and there are plenty of flushing dog trials going on in different locations throughout the year. Uh, I would imagine that you you probably see more of the common flushing dog breeds outside of maybe the just the standard poodle. I'm sure that you're going to see a lot of labs, yeah. springers. I don't know about cockers. Uh, you, you probably want some a little bit longer legged dogs, but that's something that uh, I would like to kind of test and 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 watch at least on the flushing dog trials and kind of see how how that game is run or or just the tempo of the dogs comparative to the uh, pointing dogs. Right, right. It's generally a little slower paced, but nonetheless, it's still it's still awesome to watch, you know, and watching a dog at the end of the day, you know, with its handler working together to move across the field and, and work these birds is always impressive to me. You have the the companion side of it plus the drive of that dog that is bred into it and watching all that come together, you know, just to me has always been fascinating. Yeah. So changing gears to the wild bird hunting, you know, this is something that depending, again, I'm not, I'm not really calling out any specific organization or, or circuit, but like you, you kind of go and attend these events and you can, it's always to varying degrees with, you know, the, the percentage of actual wild bird hunters, you know, it's like you go to all of them, you're going to find the occasional wild bird hunter on even, even the most, I don't know, conservative uh, organization that maybe they don't prioritize hunting as much as the others. They're still going to be there, but I can honestly say that the number of times I've shown up at a UFTA event, like I would say just venture a guess that comparative to all these other uh, events that I've been to, the majority of people I've spoken to at UFTA has some interest and actual like desire to wild bird hunt more so than what I would say in other organizations to where I got there, I didn't have much experience or could really relate to a lot of the trial discussion and talk. Mm -hmm. But I think I spoke to everybody at some point about wild bird hunting and the trips everybody's going on and everybody was excited. You know, this was early season. Everybody's talking about their plans and their trips to where it wasn't just focused in on the points and competing and winning. It was really like, yeah, we're here to do that this weekend, but next weekend I'm headed to Michigan to grouse hunt. Next weekend I'm headed to, to the Dakotas or Iowa or, or wherever. It, it was kind of a breath of fresh air that I went to a hunting dog event to where the majority of people were talking about actually hunting in the same light and the same passion as they discussed the game that they were playing. Right. No, they, they do for sure. And you'll find, you know, obviously some of them wild bird hunt more than others. Some of them, and I'm quite sure there's some guys out there that don't wild bird hunt at all that are competing in our organization. But as a general rule of thumb, there's majority of our guys do wild bird hunt. And I know from my experience, you know, they're always open and willing to talk about it. Um, I've got some friends that come down from New York that run with us, and and I've never been to Maine grouse hunting. They go to Maine every year and grouse hunt for the last several years that I know of. So I picked the phone up and called them and said, hey, where do you go? 
you know, what areas are you hunting in? And they, you know, just like an open book, here's where, you know, and you may not necessarily get that outside of this organization. You know, if I just walk up to a random guy on the side of the street and start talking bird hunting, you know, even though he's a bird hunter, he might not tell me his little honey holes. Probably not. You build those relationships in this organization and running these dogs, you know, yes, at the end of the day, we're competitors against each other. But we also shake each other's hand, wish them the best of luck, and say, hey, we'll see you next time. And for the most part, that's truly heartfelt. You know, that's the way they feel. And, hey, man, where, where do I need to go up Maine to hunt? And they didn't hesitate one bit. Hey, this is where I go. These are the areas I hunt around there. You know, so this is the type of birds we're getting in and, and numbers, so on and so forth. And building those relationships all the way across the board have proven to – enhance my wild bird hunting because of the situations that I've gotten myself into. These guys are like, hey, come go hunting with us. And so, you know, Leo Barnes, who judges, and, and uh, Jamie Barnes, his son, he and I run doubles together. And uh, he also helps out. We train dogs together some, but we wild bird hunt a lot together. And that's what started us running doubles together because our dogs are hunting so much together. You know, that they just know each other and they work well together. So we're like, hey, let's put stick these dogs in doubles, see what they do. We come out, first trial, we stick them in doubles, and we're first and second with their two teams. I was like, well, let's keep doing this. It's working, you know. And we don't even work those dogs together on a regular basis, but they've hunted for the last four years together on wild bird hunting trips, you know, days that we just get together and work dogs. So that makes a difference. But, you know, they took me on my first trip to the UP, and – I honestly probably couldn't find a better place to go wild bird hunting right now. And, you know, it's just I get up there, we go, we have a good time, the camaraderie and, and all that going on around the cabin at night and while we're hunting. Uh, but I'd have never went to Iron Mountain, Michigan, if it wasn't for them for the first time. You know, and and now it's an annual trip that we go on. Mm-hmm. So you know, And, I mean, it, it, it's – it's one of those things when I first entered this world is I actually heard some people talking or making the claim that like you can't compete in a trial organization and then ha- ha- hunt wild birds at a high level on both of them. It's like every, some people were trying to claim that you had to do one or the other. Like but, stating that as far as the dog goes or – yeah, yeah, from dog work. It's just like you can have like a really good uh, trial dog, but then you have over here the dog when it goes on wild birds, like it just it doesn't have the right hunt in it. It's and it's, it was really kind of more reflective over so, uh, other organizations to where certain dogs start learning some shortcuts and tricks, and and people will actually train the dogs to trail the four wheeler to the bird, right, and, and and stuff like that to where it's like it, you know. You're not really training the skill set. You're you're just training to win the game, right? And 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 so that again, back to my earlier statement, as part of the reason why I kind of stay steer clear of certain trial organizations for so long. But again, you know the the first thing that some of my buddies asked after me going in and running my first trial and getting my butt kicked was, they were asking if if I thought that it was a worthwhile venture in terms of like. Are you going to learn or or cost anything on the wild bird hunting side to compete at a high level in UFTA? And I can honestly say that I, I don't see that. I think that the skills that you can develop in the wild bird hunting, 
directly correlates into the trial game. Even though it's pin raise birds, if you do a good enough job as your handler, as the handler, the owner, the trainer of your dog, and you're training the skill set as you should be, and you're not doing it with any kind of intentional, I'm going to do this just to win this game. But you create the dog with the solid hunt. You create the dog with the solid, consistent retrieve, and and you hit those standards and you maintain those standards. I don't see how just running the trial is going to hurt the wild bird hunting, and vice versa. You know, it's it, it's just one of those. I think that that's more geared in other circuits or organizations, and uh, it's not really so much, at least from what I've seen, prevalent in the UFTA. I don't know if any of that really made any sense or not. Oh, no, it does, absolutely, and I agree with you 100%. Uh, in my opinion, field trialing dogs the way we do, creates better wild bird hunting dogs or worse wild bird hunting dogs. And I think 90, 99% of that has to do with how the dog's being handled by the trainer slash owner. Doesn't have a thing to do with the field trial. And I think that's a common misconception that they think, oh, because that dog's field trial, he can't wild bird hunt. No. In fact, I've been on several wild bird hunting trips that I've pulled stuff that I use in a field trial field daily out and keep wild bird dogs from getting in trouble. Uh, for example, safety. My dogs, where they hear the word safety all the time, when I when a bird comes up in a field trial field and flies towards a judge, another competitor, the gallery, or a building, I can't make that shot on that bird safely without peppering somebody or, or you know, raining shower pellets down on them. So I have to call safety. The judge, you get awarded your full points as if you killed the bird and the dog retrieved it. But it's a waste of time for my dog to continue on and chase that bird and when I can move on down the field. So to my dogs, they hear the word safety. They're going to stop dead in their tracks and not chase that bird. And there's been times that I've been hunting in the UP. You're hunting around two track trails and, and logging roads that – I hear a vehicle coming and I oh, a bird flushed and it's headed toward that vehicle down toward that gravel road and I need to stop that dog and safety. They know that word safety. They hear the word safety. It just It is the same exact meaning as whoa and they stop. Say, so, hey, I can't chase that bird. That said safety. It's done. And to them, yeah. the bird's no longer in existence. They turn around, come back, go back to hunting. And that kept that dog, you know, he could very well have could have ran right down to that gravel road. You know, and it's just a replacement of woe, basically. But I feel like in my experience training my my trial dogs to field trial and wild bird hunt, because my dogs do both. I don't have any dog that just says, oh, he's a wild bird dog or he's a trial dog. My dogs do both and go both places and do it equally as well. I feel like my my wild bird hunting I spent more time getting my dogs into birds and less time hunting for birds, if that makes sense, because I could handle them and put them in the right areas and I wouldn't waste time hunting certain areas that I'm like, I know from where I've been getting birds up for the past four days, there's not going to be birds out in the middle of this field. They're going to be over here in the waterways. You know, they're going to be in this thick cover or the cattails or they're going to be, you know, right on the edge of uh, Aspen you know, pine thicket instead of out in the middle of the aspens. And I can work that dog and just put him right in that area. Whereas in a field trial, there's a lot of times that 
you have a little more handle on that dog than what you would necessarily a wild bird dog. You know, I just turn him loose and let him go hunt, and he's going to find birds and point them. You know, you get into the aspect of pen-raised birds, and I've heard you mention that two or three times, and that is one of the biggest things I've heard people complain about. At the end of the day, training a dog is training a dog. It doesn't matter if it's a pen-raised bird or a wild bird. Yes, it is easier to educate a a young dog on wild birds because they're not going to sit around and let them be foolish and jump around and play like a pen-raised bird were. But that's where, you you know, as a trainer, you may have to step back and and step step back and think outside the box a little bit. You know, I've got a young dog that's running right in there on those birds and not even checking up to point. You know, go to the check cords, you know, woe breaking, maybe a flank collar, you know, have you tried launchers? And when I'm working my dogs on a weekly basis, every week, sometimes I use Doctra bird launchers. Sometimes I use uh, expanded metal steel traps that we fabricated in the garage, step-on traps. Sometimes the birds just get dizzied up and planted like they were, you know, a wild bird sitting there in the brush themselves. And Creating those different scenarios in training is what prepares you for the field trial, which eventually just prepares me for wild bird hunting. And I myself think 99% of it is BS, so to speak, when I hear somebody say, oh, I just wild bird hunt. My dogs are wild bird dogs. If they're wild bird dogs, they have capability of being a field trial dog and vice versa. It's the trainer slash owner's training ability and perception of what they want to do is more what it boils down to because everybody's got the ability to do anything they want to do it's just getting that mindset and training for it and i know training for field trials i did this yesterday morning uh my wife will go with me bless her heart she's she's with me every step of the way supporting me but i'll i'll start practicing shooting some skeet and i'll have her throw doubles a lot for me nine times out of ten i'm shooting at a single bird in a field trial but that one time that two birds happened to get covered up in that field, and it happens, and we were uh, – this was on a Thursday. We were shooting shooting clays, and I was – I said, hey, throw two back-to-back as fast as machine will throw it. And she said, okay. She's throwing them, throwing them, throwing them, and I'm shooting doubles a bunch. That very Sunday trial, I turned around, and I had a double in that run. Killed both birds. And I said, see, it's practicing that shot. Half the time, I wouldn't have been able to spun around and got on that other bird and made that shot. But sitting there doing that practice, and I do the same thing with my dogs. Everything from blind retrieves to where I have to throw golf balls to get them, you know, in a certain area, or you calling them on safety birds. You know, these guys go out here and, and you watch. You know which dogs have been worked on safety birds versus not. You you work that, and on a daily basis, that dog. Most of the time, it's going to stop, stand right there, watch that bird fly off, come back to you, and go back to hunting. The ones that don't, they're going to keep on chasing just like a wild bird dog would and because they don't know what that word means until you teach them. They don't know anything yeah. until you teach them. Now, they have natural instincts that you – and natural ability that you enhance, just like pointing them. They don't, they don't come out of the box and learn to stand there for – 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes, however long it takes their owner to get there and flush that bird and kill it to them, they go pick it up and bring it to them. You have to teach them that. So to me, the wild bird hunting versus field trialing, there's no difference. It's good dog training at the end of the day. 
Yeah. It, it comes down to, I mean, the easiest way to sum up what you were just describing is your your priorities and your goals as a handler. Do you want to be good at both of them? You know, I can say, you know, obviously anybody that's listening to this is I prioritize wild bird hunting over everything, you know, right. tests, trials, everything. I still participate in them, but wild bird hunting is what brought me to the dance. That's what's going to keep me dancing. That's what I want to do. Uh, but where we live we just can't wild bird hunt effectively or, or it's not fair to the dogs to just go out and just essentially do fun runs while me carrying a shotgun all the time is, is this gives me another uh, avenue or channel to kind of get out there and just let the dogs have fun while actually being productive in the training. And, and so me coming out of the wild bird field and going into the trial field, the biggest difference is honestly more handler, uh, involved than the dog you know it's like certain things on how i approach the dog on point is i'm so used to kind of circling back and coming at a 90 degree angle if not flushing back towards the dog and i just kind of do it so secondhand that when you deal with these pen raised birds they're pretty stupid birds oh so me 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 flushing back towards the dog i've had a handful of birds jump back up into essentially Rachel's mouth. Like they just run up to her and it's like, they'll kind of do that little flutter hop thing and she just snags it. And I'm like, well, crap there, there we go. So little things such as that to where on the last run I was, I came back into where I was flushing up beside her and away from her. And, uh, and and, you know, that, that gave me a little bit better results. It's like figuring out those little Mm -hmm. just nuances to where, you know, this makes sense and may help me in the wild bird field, but it's not helping me here. But also that's something to where I've never, I've never prioritized the training of the dog to just say stay staunch. I don't care if the bird jumps in your mouth or not because again, back to the hunting mentality, if I if I go rough grouse hunting, this has never happened and I you know, I'm sure that there's somebody out there that this has happened to to where the bird just flushes right at the dog. Right. Uh, you know, it's just like I don't care if she snatches that out of the air because it's, you know, we're out there to get the bird anyway. Right. Uh it, and I actually did have one grouse flush into Quinn in Michigan this year, so that was yeah. kind of funny. But uh But yeah, so like I've never prioritized that. So now I got to thinking, I'm like, well, maybe I do need to do some drills to where like even though Rachel's staunch and and pointing, if I want to be serious in this game, she needs to be able to withstand a crappy pin raised bird from bouncing around and jumping in her face. She needs to be able to withstand that and be just as steady on that as if the bird is running away from her, which is really the only picture and presentation we've done so it's like every time you run in this i I feel like you're going to come away with a different scenario or circumstance that you can then if you want to start trying to replicate and simulate in the training field and then to what you're saying is it's like you know try and plan for the worst hope for the best but plan for the worst to where hey the double opportunity might present itself once a season Yep. But if I prepare for it, it doesn't matter if it happens once a season. I can still capitalize on that and come out with a win. It, it's you know we talk about that all the time, especially in these hunt tests. You have to prepare for the worst case scenario. You right. need to go do duck search training in the rain because it might be raining on test day. Stuff like that. To where I think in this game, it's more handler heavy than dog heavy, if that's fair to say. Oh, absolutely, and it's it's always been my opinion if 
especially in in our game with UFTA and wild bird hunting, in my experiences, the better I have been in the field trials, the dogs that I have been better with in the field trials competing was, and just as far as just an overall, hey, this dog's doing their job. I haven't had one bit of issue with them wild bird hunting. And they get out, they find wild birds, they find several, you know, not like they're slacking on finding wild birds at all. They find their fair share and continue moving forward. Uh, but I have found that a lot of times, because the wild bird scent's a little stronger, the wild birds are a little more jumpy, that a lot of times my trial dogs will come out ahead at the end of the day over somebody versus that just wild bird hunts. And it's just adding that little bit of extra element of control because working on those pen raised birds, just like you said, 99.99% of the time, you're never going to have a dog catch that wild bird, but they right. it's that pen raised bird. So if I get that dog to where he stands perfectly staunch, never move the muscle till I pull the trigger on that gun, I'm never going to have to worry about him catching a pin race bird. Well, if I know he's not going to catch a pin race bird, he's definitely not going to catch a wild bird. Exactly. And, you know, so those little things, again, it just goes back to training worst case scenario and training for those situations. Uh, the, the field trial game, there's a lot of situations. You wouldn't believe the number of wild bird dogs that I have, that I have hunted over personally, that buddies own that are excellent dogs, phenomenal dogs that they don't feel trial and you throw a bird on the ground let it walk, let them watch it walking and in two seconds that dog's grabbing that bird but you throw a bird down in front of one of my dogs walking that field trial for the most part they're going to stand there and watch that dog walk because so many times that has happened in field trial so i was like i gotta get my dog stopped doing this so what i do i come home i pull the flight feathers on some pin raised birds set my dog up there let him point it and when he points it, I just make that bird walk around circles around him and him sit there and watch him. And, you know, it's kind of torturous to them because you're going against their nature to want to grab that bird, you know, their prey drive. But at the end of the day, I got to be competitive in that field trial. And there's a lot of times, hey, they may see a bird out walking. I need them to stop and point that bird and sit there and watch him walk until I can get to it and flush it. Yeah. And that that has won me some trials being able to do that. Yeah. And I mean, it, it goes into, I know of a few trainers that they implement that in their training program for their wild birds, because there is a wild bird, uh, applicability to this is, is it can directly apply to wild birds where there are a lot of dogs that will establish and hold staunchly based on scent. But when they're coupled with the visual stimulus, they will break and bump that bird. And if we're talking wild birds, that bird's gone. That's right. Opportunity, yeah. Yeah. And so, and I mean, I've been in numerous situations where my dog will point a bird. And if you're dealing with a runner or maybe just a bird that's just pinned down, if you have a dog that's going to break every time they see the bird, yeah. then, then that can, that can really cost you some opportunities while, while bird hunting. And, and I'm sure we can, we can kind of go down and, and, cover a whole bunch of scenarios and, and, and kind of compare and contrast. And maybe that's something we do on a future episode that might be, might be fun is kind of comparing the common situations you find yourself in a trial and relate that to wild bird hunting. But, uh, I think that'll be a, a, a rabbit hole. We don't want to go down right now, yeah. but, uh, man, it, it, it's, it's been fun kind of picking your brain, knowing a little bit more on your backstory and, and what you appreciate about this. But, you know, as we kind of close this out, 
I want to hear your take on this. You don't have to pick one or the other, field trialing or wild bird hunting. I think that's kind of a uh, too easy of a question. I want to hear what trialing means to you, though. If you can put into words, like, what what captures your attention so much? Why is it so fun for you? And then we'll just wrap it up with that. Then my enjoyment on the field trialing is the – opportunity to spend more time with my dogs in the off season of wild bird hunting alongside with my friends you know the camaraderie that we have developed and the relationships we developed you know we mentioned uh, lauren and gabe at the start of this and us all being neck and neck competing and a couple of weeks ago we were in uh in illinois out there competing you know we're going head to head but at the end of the trial, we all went and sat down and ate dinner that night. You know, that camaraderie, breaking bread together and enjoying each other's company, that's what it's about. And so that's my enjoyment in it, as well as my dogs. You know, that's the biggest part of it is, is spending time with my dogs and the competitiveness of me, you know, an outlet being there for that. So that, that's yeah. my big enjoyment in it and, and gives me more opportunity to do that. Than just I love I love it. You know, I I've, I recorded with Lauren last night, and everybody listening to this, if uh, stay tuned, it'll come out here in a few days after this episode. But uh, not to be too much of a teaser or spoiler alert, but Lauren said the same thing. The camaraderie is what everybody loves being out there and having fun with the dogs. The dogs have a blast with it, but at the end of the day, it's it still comes back to. I mean, it, the word gets overused a lot nowadays, but fellowship, you know, you're, you're talking about a group of people from all kinds of different corners of, of life and, and social situations still coming together with a common interest and passion that, like you said, it, you guys can go out there and compete head to head and y'all been doing it mm-hmm. all year long, all season long. But at the end of the day, when the trial's over, you guys are, are going and having a meal together and, and just talking about what, you know, normal life and, and dogs and birds and, and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, anybody that's interested, they want to check it out. They can do a lot worse than UFTA, in my opinion. But, uh, Kevin, I appreciate you taking the time and kind of sharing some of your thoughts and advice on this stuff. It was a blast getting to know you a little bit more, and I, I look forward to doing it again sometime. Absolutely. I appreciate you having us on here. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out UplandGunCompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right, everybody, thanks for tuning into this episode with Kevin Kuyper, kind of going over everything UFTA. This was presented by Standing Stone Supply, Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. I'm not going to go too too much into detail on this or my reaction on it because I'm I'm honestly doing another episode with uh, Lauren Trout, which you guys will hear here in a, a, a couple days to kind of round out the, this topic of UFTA. This is just something that as i've spoken on the podcast a few times and you heard on this episode uh me venturing into the trial world it's been kind of eye-opening and a lot of fun in a lot of different perspectives and and ways uh and, and it's honestly got me kind of thinking about other activities and other things that i can test out with my dogs but uh that, that'll be a conversation for another time but something that really listening back to this episode that really resonated with me afterwards was the the talking point in this where Kevin was talking about how like truly anybody can actually come in and get started in this and start competing on day one. You know, it, you can call it beginner's luck or just being lucky overall. You can call it whatever you want, but at the end of the day, the, the rules and competition and game is designed for anybody to just kind of come and and have fun with their dogs and still have a chance at winning you know nobody wants to come and do this uh just for the participation or to say that they did it that they want a chance at actually winning and uh you know winning isn't everything but you know we got to have fun and enjoy the process but i'm not going to a competition style event without at least doing my best to win and while I haven't been doing this very long and we talked about how, you know, the, the players that do it consistently, um, they still need luck on their hands, but even, even the people that start out, I mean, the first day that I, I ran trials here and within this organization, I, I almost had a really good run. I mean, it was boom, boom, boom. I got the first two birds very quickly. I mean, I was almost in and out of the field on a day where the sending conditions weren't that great. And we hit a snag like three minutes in. I mean, I almost walked out of the field with a three minute time and, uh, just, it kind of came unraveled on that third bird. And, uh, before you know it, it took, you know, 11, 12 minutes to get out of the field. And so it's really interesting, you know, we we're going through and, and Rachel was, was the one running in this one. I've run, uh, trials with both Rachel and Quinn in the amateur and the open. And, uh, Rachel really has, has almost pieced together a few really good runs, but we just, we haven't been able to put the bow on it. We haven't been able to complete the entire run. It's, it's like, we'll get two out of the three birds and we'll get close to having a, a really stellar run. And, it, and for whatever reason, it just doesn't, doesn't come to fruition, doesn't come to light. So, uh, it keeps me hungry. keeps me wanting to compete and, and hopefully I can make it to a few other trials as of right now. Uh, we can no longer, uh, get started and qualify for the nationals and at the end of february right now everything that is being run now applies and qualifies you for the nationals in uh february or march of early 2025 so uh you can still go out and check it out you can come to kentucky check out the nationals if you would like the the point leader chase is over i know who won it right now you guys will hear it here in a couple days or you can just google it or hit the sh show link if, if you want to find out now but uh 
yeah, I'll just kind of save some more UFTA talk or, or feedback for the episode that I have with Lauren here in a couple days. With that being said, I'm going to wrap this up. Thanks again to everybody for joining in and hitting download and play, especially uh, the supporters over at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself, the voluntary contributions that they provide this podcast and this platform uh, really goes a long way. We wouldn't be here without them. So just throwing that out there in case you enjoyed this, this episode or prior episodes and you would like to share your support again it's patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself and with that being said we'll uh, sign off here and we'll talk to you here in a couple days thanks everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs b pro kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the usa from high grade lightweight aluminum they'll get you set up with the size dimensions lighting storage battery boxes with solar charging and anything else you can dream of stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.